0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Golfer's Journal podcast presented by Titleist, the number one ball in golf. My name's Tom Coyne, senior writer at the Golfer's Journal, and your host for today as we look back into golf's history, golf's history at the U.S. Open, golf's history at winged foot, a lot of questions about what's going to happen this week. Are the scores going to resemble our own scores of what we shot last weekend? As the course seems tuned up for punishment, I would certainly be in keeping with the history that's been made out at Wingfoot in the U.S. Open in the past. And with such an historic site, we wanted to talk about some of that history, talk a little bit about the 90th anniversary of Bobby Jones Grand Slam, which is this year. And what better place to have those conversations than at the USGA Museum in Liberty Corner, New Jersey. Now, if you haven't been, and you probably haven't since it's a, a little bit, it's a bit remote, sort of set in New Jersey, nor- northern New Jersey farmland. It's not too far from New York, but it's not a place you'd stumble across. Uh, if you're there, you're, you've set out to be there. So if you haven't been, I'm going to take you on a walking tour through the museum, through American Golf History in the space of a podcast. And I'm going to do that with the help of the wonderful and wise director of the USGA Museum, Hilary Cronheim. Uh, as you're about to hear, this might be one of the greatest secrets in golf, and we aren't just going to go behind the scenes. We're going to go around them and beneath them as well. So let's go explore. I want to get you there and jump right in. But first, just a note to thank all the listeners and subscribers who I hope are enjoying Golfers Journal number 13. We get positive feedback on the magazine from you, which is great. But the enthusiasm for the 13 has it's really been off the charts. So thanks to everyone who's. Reached out and shared their thoughts about it. Make sure you subscribe so you can get not just 13, but Golfers Journal Digital, where now all the stories for 13 are there, and you can listen to the authors read them. Uh, we've got more Link Soul Cash coming up. Again, you know this is a subscription that literally pays for itself. Just a note about our Ballyhack Two Man event. Um, it was, in the words of our leader Brendan Thomas, um, our best event. Yet big shout out to Casey Bannon for all his work on the event and all the golfers journal events he did on his cross country tour in the van, the golfers journal van, Uh shout out to myself um, for, for winning the event after a five hole playoff with my partner, Joel Morgan, way to go Joel and big thanks to DJ Pihowski for blazing a path so that golfers journal staff could get their name on the trophy, Uh, just, it was a blast. And it was great to meet so many Broken Tea Society folks. So always stay tuned to our events page for what's coming coming up next. Those of us who were lucky enough to win, we got custom Scotty Cameron putters. Uh, We got to order whatever we wanted. And I just got mine a couple days ago, had it out yesterday. I was making all the putts. Can't wait to get it rolling again this afternoon. Rolling my Titleist Pro V1, of course, because even when it's just a casual round with friends, my time, your time, I'm sure, on the course, it's precious and it's important. And why would we trust our scores to anything but the most trusted ball in golf, the Pro V1 and Pro V1X? Also, thanks to Link Soul, Scotty Cameron, Titleist, Oakley, New York Private Bank & Trust, and Links & Kings for their continued support of the magazine. And big thanks to Hillary and the USGA for allowing us to come see the rarest golf artifacts, especially the ones that you're going to hear about that the public don't get to see. So enjoy the week, everybody. Enjoy Wingfoot, And as the Wingfoot fight song proclaims, something you'll soon hear on our upcoming conversation, hail to the Winged Foot. It's the only place for me. I've just arrived, uh, took a lovely two-hour drive up from Philadelphia to this beautiful bucolic Setting here in the Garden State and rolled up to this lovely manor house, red brick, white columns to meet my friend Hillary, Hillary Cronheim. Great to see you.
1: Thanks for having thanks, me. Thanks. Happy for, to have you here. Thanks
0: for being with us. Tell us where we are.
1: We are standing here in the USGA Golf Museum, the nation's oldest sports museum at yeah. USGA headquarters in Liberty Corner, New Jersey. Uh, we are the nation's oldest sports museum. And the world's leading institution for the collection, preservation, interpretation, and dissemination of golf history. <laughs> well,
0: well, well.
1: So we're kind of a big deal. We'll be
0: the judge of that, Hillary. We just got started. No, we're, we're so excited to be here. Um, like I said, it's a, just like walking up. You kind of get the goosebumps, so. Definitely. Yeah, awesome. we're
1: standing in a historic home that was built in 1919 by John Russell Pope. And it was a residence when it was built and is one of sort of the best preserved examples of residential architecture that John Russell Pope did. And it was a residence until the USGA bought it in 1972 as they were originally headquartered in New York City and were looking to move out and expand their operations. And we bought the property and we've been here ever since.
0: Okay, so you bought the home, put your offices in here, and this becomes... Well, this has been expanding, right? The museum is, is growing.
1: Yes. So when we moved here in 1972, the entire USGA staff was located in this building. And we built the first version of the administration building in 1985 and then um, expanded it again. Our most recent addition to the museum was in 2008. We added roughly 16,000 square feet of galleries, a new library, and a state-of-the-art collection storage facility to house our collection.
0: Awesome. Well, we're going we're gonna to poke around. So we're here today to talk about a couple things. We're rolling into Wingfoot. U.S. Open is right around the corner, so we definitely want to check in on some Wingfoot history, but also this year is a pretty exciting one for American golf history as the 90th anniversary of Bobby Jones' Grand Slam. Correct. Correct. I got that correct. So we're going to definitely focus on some Bobby Jones history and just kind of see all the cool stuff that is here to be seen. Um, I'm psyched. Can you tell me actually, Hillary, since I have you, just pretend like nobody's listening. Um, Oh boy. What's the scoop on, how is the US Open going to go? What's the word around the USGA? Are we talking like bloodbath? Like just give it to us straight.
1: I have no idea and I'm proud to have no idea. All right. It's going to be awesome. It is going to be awesome. It's a very historic course. Do you I any, think people like, are definitely hungry for some competitive golf. Yeah. I know, sort of, March, March, April, May was a dark time with no sports. Yes, <laughs> it's gonna be. It's gonna be great. I'm definitely have, looking forward to it.
0: I am too. Do you have like a pick for our listeners? Since I'm here at headquarters, it's probably frowned upon to talk about. Sports wagering mm. in the in the United States Golf Association, I, but I don't. Who, well, who are you going to be pulling for? Well, you can't. You got to be. You've got to be. I can't you gotta play be favorites. Sweden. I can't yeah. play favorites. You do. Exactly. All right.
1: Exactly. But whoever I'm going to be pulling for, we're going to try to get an artifact from them at the end of the <laughs> U.S. Open, which is always what we try to do.
0: That's uh, got to be fun. Like when somebody wins, like are you like right away like grab that hat, grab the shoes? Yeah.
1: Like last year at 2019 at uh, Pebble. Um, right when Gary Woodland hit that amazing wedge shot on 17, I said, I need that wedge. Um, So we got his wedge and his three wood. You got him? We got him both.
0: Score. Which is great. Good for you, Gary. Good on you.
1: So it's fun to sort of pay attention and think, you know, from an artifact perspective, what do we need from this championship for people to remember? It's not always a club or a ball. Sometimes it's, you know, a hat or a shirt or something like that. But it's fun to kind of think from a storytelling perspective – how are we going to tell the story of 2019? And most people are going to men- remember that shot on 17. Yeah, for sure.
0: Well, there's a lot of stuff here that, a lot of artifacts that tell a lot of stories. So let's let's wander around. Sounds um, good. For people who haven't been here.
1: Um, so we're standing in the entryway. Um, the museum, as I mentioned, is the oldest museum in sports, and founded in 1936. Mm. And our collections are vast. So our museum collection has over 80,000 artifacts in it. The photography collection, over 750,000 photographs, uh, film and video library, 200,000 yeah. hours of film and video footage. That's and a lot also, of golf to watch. And or over 100,000 plus items in the library in over 25 languages. So the collections really form the basis for everything that we do, all the exhibits we do, the content that we write. Um, that's our main goal to kind nice. of keep growing the collection and
0: share it with people. I love it. I love – we've poked around a little bit before we jumped on the mic. So the collection is amazing. What I also love about the museum is that um, it is curated and operated by a team of women.
1: Correct. You know, because
0: my – you know, in your imagination, you're like, all right, I'm going to the USGA Golf Museum. There's going to be some guy who looks like Charles Blair McDonald with a pipe, you know, (laughs) like barking at you about how little you know about history. Um, But, no, I mean, I I, I love that yourself and Victoria – um, USGA historian are, are, have done all this incredible work and it's yeah, we, beautiful
1: we like to tell people you know we're museum professionals first and golf happens to be our subject matter but um, only a few people on the staff play golf so it's not necessary to play golf to sort of take care of the artifacts and enjoy and appreciate the game do you play golf? I do I Good. do yes I'm I'm okay I'm about a 12 12 handicap That's solid. so not bad
0: Yeah. yeah
1: not bad I feel like I don't get to play enough golf, but I get to be surrounded by all these amazing artifacts. So I don't really care. Yeah. Right. You're living
0: in it. You're living in the golf. Exactly. You've got game 12 solid. So this part of the museum, you know, really celebrating the individuals. This is where I get the goosebumps here.
1: Yeah. So now we're entering the new part of the museum, which I said was expanded in 2008 and we're entering, um, Probably the signature space in the museum, which is the Hall of Champions. So as you're walking in, you wow. see uh, center case in the middle, which has the US Open trophy, US Amateur, US Women's Amateur, and Women's Open.
0: It's brilliant. And it's actually, and it's pretty brilliant today, looking at the trophies. Um, man, I love the uh, the US Women's Amateur is so yeah, beautiful. Yeah, so this is the
1: oldest trophy in our collection.
0: Um, the Women's Am?
1: The Women's Am, yes. This is a, uh, from 1896. Um, it was a gift of Robert Cox, who was a Scottish member of Parliament. That's why it's got sort of the Scottish thistles, Um it's the It's beautiful. Of the Scottish I mean, plant. it's the tall.
0: It's it seems to be the tallest, one it of the is. tallest, and everyone's favorite when yeah, they come. Yeah, the, the very silver ornate. jug is covered with this beautiful ceramic uh, thistle and colors and it's just gorgeous
1: you know the usga uh women's golf was important from the inception we had a women's amateur in 1895 yeah. right when we had our u.s amateur and open so it's yeah how about been it
0: important. you know it's like towering over the men's u.s open trophy right next to it like you wouldn't even notice it right no, well that's because it. it's better <laughs> that's what i'm saying so um, in
1: front of us we have um The U.S. Open trophy. So the original U.S. Open trophy actually was destroyed in a fire in 1946 uh, Uh, at Tamashanter after Lloyd Mangrum won. Luckily, uh, the USGA had the specifications for the trophy, so this is an exact copy of what the original looked like. And we gave out this trophy to the champion until 1986. And then we instituted a replica policy. So now this trophy has been retired to the museum and it stays here permanently.
0: So this is the real deal. This, this is, is the, the real one. deal.
1: Yeah. And it does not leave the museum. And you so, said,
0: yeah, even an engraver comes here to yes, engrave these trophies. Yes. Our
1: engraver actually will come on site once a year and engrave all of the trophies.
0: So at Winged Foot, um, Rory McIlroy will be holding up a... That's who I'm pulling for this week. Yeah. Oh, okay. He'll, he'll be holding. <laughs> just because
1: he's a new dad, I'm pulling for him That's too. That's my that thing. Awesome. I think he's gonna totally. have
0: all the pressure off, right? He's yeah. gonna like have his. He's just gonna be like, hey, this is just fun. I got, you know, I, I know what matters in life, and this is just golf, and I'm gonna play and have fun. So absolutely. Um.
1: So the winner at Winged Foot will get a champion's replica. So the replica right. passes from. It'll go. You know, Gary Woodland will. Um, have given the trophy back to the USGA by now mm-hmm. and we'll give it to the champion. And then we also have a media replica, which we'll take on Golf Channel or to the championship sites. Right. And-
0: Do you make Gary Woodland or the winner like little collateral exchange or put a deposit down? Like, you know, when I rent a house at the beach, like a security deposit or something on it? Because <laughs> you could totally mess... Well, not Gary, ch- but anyone could
1: just mess it up. Well, th- it's one of the reasons why we retired the original yeah. trophy because you know, these champions have had an amazing accomplishment and they're celebrating and it would come back uh, in various states. And our Mm, most important job in the museum is to take care of the objects and the trophies. And I would argue that the trophies are the most important artifacts that we have. So it's better for the game of golf for us to take care of them.
0: As you should, because you are the most qualified and this place is beautiful and this is right where they should reside. And As the sign says, we can continue our tour out of the the Hall of Champions Yep. um, to the dawn of American golf. I mean, it's almost like I want to be on a little ride. (laughs) You know, I have the handlebar fall down and have like some guy whispering in my ear. Um, So we're
1: entering now our main galleries, which talk about the history of golf in America from the late 19th century to the present. And we've really tried to place golf for people in the context of social and cultural and economic history. So it doesn't become sort of this happened and then that happened, but what was happening in America at the time and how golf shaped that experience.
0: I love that. So, I mean, you start right at the beginning with John Reed and St. Andrews, um, which is a a fair play to USGA for acknowledging John Reed because Charles Blair McDonald, some people would say, Stevie McDonald is the father of golf in America. Um, But if you really look at the history, Um, you know, John Reed's out there, whacking Balls and Yonkers, uh, he's, he's, he's doing that first. So it's cool to see him celebrated and the St. Andrews Apple Tree Gang celebrated here. Yep. We've got some really
1: cool, you know, the Oakhurst Challenge medal from 1888, you know, some of the earliest artifacts kind of, even before we had USGA championships,
0: the oldest known golf prize award in the United States, the Oakhurst. So I tried to go down there and play the Oakhurst links because mm-hmm. it's still a hickory golf course. It's closed. It's closed because they got yeah. they had a hard time in the storms yeah, they and did. it hasn't opened up again.
1: Yeah. My um my family has a house at the Greenbrier and I was down there actually in June and went to go check it out and they're yeah, they're coming on hard times. Hopefully they'll open it again.
0: Um, do they rent this house or do they give it to friends or golf writers?
1: <laughs> if they write good books, they okay. do.
0: <laughs> hey oh. <laughs> Haven't been.
1: So okay. here we have actually this case is cool. We, this is the uh, original U.S. Women's Amateur Trophy. So this pitcher—it's a,
0: it's a water pitcher, exactly. Wow, they really spruced it up. For, Awarded uh, to
1: Lucy Barnes Brown, and this is a replica of the original Havemeyer Trophy, the U.S. Amateur Trophy. Let me
0: tell you something about this. You've it burned. It no, it burned. But I know this one. And Bobby Jones, right? Yep. And had it it East, East Lake, and mm-hmm. it burned because East Lake has a replica too. Yep. Yeah. Um, and it's really ornate it's so you know, nice two-handed too. silver cup. I mean, the nice the Havenmeyer now is nice, but it used to be. Ooh, folks, fancy. it was a really yeah. fancy cup.
1: And uh we have the champions medal from the eighteen ninety-five US Open, won by Horace Rollins. And the mashie that he used to win in eighteen ninety five. That is
0: mashie from the first for Horace Rollins' first. U.S. Open winner. Now, I wasn't going to say anything when I was in the Hall of Champions about the 1895 Open and whether was there really an 1894 Open at Newport or was there one at St. Andrews or there's controversy about what the, where the first U.S. Open. not there's not controversy. There's controversy in my head because no one really <laughs> who cares really. Um, oh, and you actually note it here: the Amateur Championship in 1894 um, that. C.B. McDonald um, sort of protests as being yeah. not properly run yep. um, and thus that gives birth to the USGA exactly. as an organizing body for tournaments and then they have their first official. So yeah, 1895, that's the official start because that's the USGA, but it's funny. I remember I was at um, either at Colonial or Champions and, and I was looking through a, a, a program and they listed um, all the, all the past US Open sites and it started with St. Andrews. And that was back in like, that program was from like 1955. So somewhere Ooh. along the way, the narrative shifted.
1: It's a history mystery, as we like it's to call it. It's a history. By golf the way, is full if I them. could have a cocktail with anyone, I would like to have one with Charles Blair McDonald just to know what was in his head.
0: He's kind of, an, uh, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. What's in his head? But he's kind of an irascible dude, I think a little yeah. bit, you know. Um, but golf's all the better for it because him being, at least in my research, someone who didn't settle for um, basically him being a complainer yep. made golf in America so much better. You know his yep. golf course. You know he didn't just settle for what golf courses were like in America at that point. So we're You're uh, just
1: gonna skip over We Met's not interesting to you. Is that it?
0: Uh, no, We Met is not There's so much here. Oh, those are the actual scorecards? Correct.
1: These Whoa. are the um, among the earliest championship scorecards we have from We Met, Harry Varden, and Ted Ray from the playoff in 1913.
0: That is amazing. So, I mean, that's their handwriting? Correct. In pencil. The, the handwriting
1: of the handwriting marker. Beautiful handwriting
0: of the marker. Well, yep. yeah. you, know. so you Well, can they signed them.
1: Yep. So, you can see um, Bernard Darwin was actually <laughs> the, was marker the marker of We Met.
0: Wow. A golf writer getting to be the marker. Yeah. I bet he was pulling for him because it's a great story. 1913.
1: Many people have read or seen the greatest game ever played, puts golf on the front page of the newspaper for the first time and really spurs the growth of golf in America.
0: It does. But he's not the first American to win the U.S. Open. No, he is not. Who would that be?
1: That would be our good friend, friend, John John McDermott. John McDermott from
0: Philadelphia. Thank you. We have his
1: club right here and his champions medal, speaking of.
0: Hey, so we come around the corner, club of champions. Yes, Johnny McDermott, the first American-born winner of the U.S. Open. Obviously doesn't get as much um, attention because his career was very short, even though he won back-to-back U.S. Opens. Um, Spent 50 years of his life in a uh, mental institution. Um, so, but more about that on another golfer's journal podcast, Absolutely. uh, as well as our friend John Shippen, um, first African-American, uh, to play in the U S open back in 1896 at Shinnecock. Uh, we're going to talk about Mr. Shippen in a podcast as well. With so our good just...
1: friend, Lane Demas, yeah. winner of the 2017 Herbert Warren Wind book award. Yes. At the elusive Fantastic. for you, Tom, the elusive book <laughs> award. Zing. <laughs> Getting zinged. Game of privilege in African American <laughs> history of golf.
0: Yeah, everyone check that book out. Um yeah, well, I was I wasn't gonna bring up.
1: No Grand Slam, you're skipping over the Grand Slam. Yeah, this,
0: I am trying to <laughs> you know. You just you turn a corner and you miss here it is though. This is where we're I'm glad you stopped me because <laughs> so now this we're is entering, what we want to talk about exactly. Bobby Jones's
1: Grand Slam. So now we're entering the golden age gallery, which we defined as and it of, is
0: actually golden here.
1: It is golden here. Yeah. That was quite intentional. Go ahead. Um, so here we talk about obviously the pinnacle of Jones career in 1930, um, his wins in the British amateur and the British open. He actually comes back to America and has a ticker tape parade in New York. So we have some cool artifacts related to welcome home, Bob Jones. We have a little statue, a welcome home, Bobby Jones, cigar and box.
0: Wow. I mean, to get a ticker tape parade in New York, can you imagine for a golfer to capture the American imagination like that is just so, um, what a great time to, to be a golfer. Absolutely. Right? You have his passport?
1: We do. Yeah. What?
0: That's wild. Bobby Jones' passport.
1: Absolutely.
0: Oh. Huh. Which he had to use to go win the British Amateur. Exactly. And
1: yeah. And then, of course, he comes back um, and goes to Interlochen to play the U.S. Open, wins there. Mm-hmm. And then four weeks later, goes to Marion Cricket Club and wins the Grand Slam. Good for
0: you for calling it Marion Cricket Club. I like that. Um, more commonly just referred to as Marion today. And the Marion have, Cricket Club um, is just up the here road the from ball
1: it. that Bob Jones used to win in 1930. And the Whoa. scorecard and his winning round over Eugene Homans. And probably the most famous club in golf right here.
0: Ooh, so right on the end of the aisle here, folks, looking at Calamity Jane, the most famous golf club in the world. Now it's saying Calamity Jane 2, Yes. What's the story there?
1: So the original club um, was made by Jimmy Maiden, who was the pro at Nassau Country Club. And Jones played with it for a time. And in three years, sort of the club became worn. Oh, and okay. um, so he needed a new one, essentially. So he commissioned right. Spaulding and J. Victor East to create several replicas. And he put one of them in his bag. It was this one, and this was the one that he used to win 10 of his 13 championships, including the 1929 U.S. Open at Winged Foot, one of the most amazing putts in golf history on the 18th green to win in a playoff.
0: I wasn't – tell me about the putt. I don't recall the uh...
1: – So in the final round
0: – Yes.
1: I'm reading from my notes here. No, don't cheating. talk I'm cheating. Fi- in the final round, Jones missed the green on 18, left him an uphill shot to the flag. He left the ball 12 feet above the hole Ooh. to force a playoff. So Grantland Rice called this final putt golf's greatest putt, and people think it was the most dramatic single moment in wing foot history. And Jones made the putt, curling it in on the final roll with Calamity Jane 2. So Jones would defeat Alice Spinoza by 23 strokes in the playoff. And actually, <laughs> Jones donated this club, Calamity Jane 2, to the museum in 1938 and really cemented the museum's reputation as – a place where champions entrusted the USGA with their legacy and That's it's cool. considered our first major acquisition.
0: Right. So if Bobby Jones is giving you Calamity Jane, it's like, Hey, you know, uh, Gary Woodland, let's get your wedge. You know what I'm Correct. saying? You know, Bobby Jones can do it. Um, if you walk around the corner here is, I like this one just being from Philadelphia, you have, uh, a granite marker from the 11th hole where he would have closed out, um, You know, we won the U.S. Ammoner, finished the Grand Slam in 1930. It's interesting, so, I mean, this is like the granite slab which was, it was placed on the tee of the 11th hole, and now there's a a marker there that's on a rock, uh, an iron marker, and what's cool about that is that if you look at his name on that where it says Robert Tyre Jones Jr., it's a little bit raised, right? So, and the story behind that is when they got the marker um, originally, uh, they had it engraved or whatever. It, someone put Robert Trent Jones. Oops. 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 Awkward. Awkward. Robert Trent Jones being the famous architect. So there's a little just sort of instead of getting a whole new thing, <laughs> Marion decided uh <laughs> let's just put a strip of metal over uh the error um and it, it looks cool it makes it look like they want his name to stand out even more but just it's like it costs little mess ups and oops like that are, are more fun i mean marion we talked about ben hogan they also have um oh ben hogan's one irons in here somewhere yep, isn't it around
1: the corner yep
0: okay yeah so <laughs> go to calamity jane to ben hogan's one iron so my story about the other plaque at marion uh, from right we're looking at a picture of, of Ben Hogan famously in his um, follow through with the crowds around him 18 at Marion flag yeah, in the Paskin. distance yeah just the, the iconic f- photograph so there would be a plaque there there is a plaque there now um, you know it says Hogan's one iron um, and the date hmm. but for a long time they had the date wrong on on the plaque this is you know this is what my research has yielded someone could <laughs> contradict me but what the heck it's a good story anyway um, that the us so they put down the date cuz it happened on the last day so they put down sunday's date but the us open used to be 36 holes on saturday so it was one day off for quite a while uh, until they finally noticed and changed it but awkward um, again a little awkward but but there's a great story here as to how you get the one iron ben hogan's one iron how does it end up here
1: yeah, so 1949, Ben Hogan's in this uh, horrific car accident and comes to play in the 1950 U.S. Open at Marion, and of course wins, and it's this big heroic comeback, um, one of the most iconic moments in golf history. And after the championship, this one iron and his shoes were stolen out of his locker at Marion, and that's rough. Disappeared essentially. Philly's
0: a rough town. I came up there. I, I it was tough. I came up hard, and um, my golf clubs have been stolen along the way. <laughs> They were not of any significance.
1: So they're discovered in 1983 in a garage sale and were given to Mr. Hogan who donated it to the museum in 1983.
0: That's exceptional
1: Yes. in a
0: garage sale. So those, you know, you garage sale people, Sometimes you wonder, like, is that really what you do on a Saturday as you go to garage sales? But somebody did, and they look what they found. found. And actually,
1: last year, we took this club um, to Pebble Beach as part of the reunion of champions and brought it to some of the US Open and amateur champions. And if you look very closely, you can see there's a wear spot right near the hosel and all of the amateurs were saying as I was showing them the artifact, could you imagine hitting enough one-irons to get that wear spot, yeah. really incredible.
0: And so close to the hosel. Exactly. It terrifies me, just exactly. looking at that. And then boom, the art of the superpowers. So you're moving into, I mean, it's like, an. Ex- these are exciting exhibits, the way you have it laid out. And right here we have a bunch of uh, 1960s televisions staring at us um, that I remember from uh, my grandparents. Uh, I guess this is when golf moves into the age of TV? TV. Yep. So
1: trying to give visitors the experience of what it would have been like to watch golf on TV during that time. And here we talk about, you know, of course, the great rivalry between Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer and Gary Player.
0: And the Black Knight.
1: Black Knight, exactly.
0: <laughs> we have his uh, Black Knight sweater there. Um, and the, visor. the visor is cool because it looks like, no offense, I mean, it's been through some stuff you know, that it wouldn't, you'd say, why is that in a museum? Well, tell us why.
1: So Arnold Palmer's only U.S. Open win, 1960 at Cherry Hills. We have that iconic video footage where he's throwing his visor up in the air yeah, right. and it's caught by the son of the superintendent, at Cherry Hills Skip Manning, who keeps the visor for almost 40 years and donates it to the museum in 2008. And we actually did not know that the visor was red until it was donated to us because all of our footage was in black and white.
0: That's wild.
1: And this is one of our, um, you know, obviously most iconic and, and best loved artifacts as many Arnie artifacts
0: are. Yeah, because everyone knows that, that toss of the visor. Um, and it just, it's so great because it's one of those things you see there's nothing special about it. It's a beat up old red visor. Uh, and then you get the story and you're like, yeah. And, you're, and it just brings back these warm memories of, of seeing that and Arnold Palmer. And look at those shoes, Johnny Miller. hey solid. Fancy. Uh, fancy Johnny Miller shoes, we've got hats, we've got clubs. Um, but each one of them, telling a little story. The bullseye putter used by Sandra Haney. I had a bullseye. Great stuff. Oh, and see, this is where the exhibit, you can get lost in looking at the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and if you don't turn around, you won't see the moon club, which has to be.
1: Oh, that old thing? Probably the most iconic club in our collection.
0: In the universe, universe. literally (laughs) beyond the earth. (laughs) Tell us about this, which looks like pipes with a golf club on the bottom.
1: Exactly, so um, uh, 1971, uh, Alan Shepard, who is of course a voracious golfer, fashioned this moon club. And this is the shaft, which is long and collapses, is actually a tool used to collect lunar rock samples. And he had this Wilson head of a six iron fashioned so that he could make sort of this makeshift golf club. And he compresses the whole thing and stores it in a sock, which he shoves in his spacesuit and takes up to the moon with him and brings two golf balls. And he says the first one he shanked completely. Yeah. And the second one went for miles and miles and miles.
0: It's not bad. I mean, he gets a mulligan. He's in a spacesuit for crying out loud. Exactly. I would have brought more golf balls. Exactly. But- um and, yeah right uh, that ball's still going
1: comes back and actually donates this club to the usga at the 1974 u.s open at wingfoot
0: that is so cool just to think this thing has been on the moon yes that's wild yes and, there and is back.
1: a there is a replica in the air and space museum but this is the original and yeah. one of our most iconic artifacts obviously because there aren't many things that have been to the moon and back
0: do not be hoodwinked all you people going to the the Smithsonian, but the real and deal is tuned. here in New Jersey. Stay
1: tuned for the 2020 U.S. Open at Wingfoot. Yeah, for a little sneak peek.
0: Oh, really? Oh, you're uh-huh. full of little secrets. Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> so we've got some international amateur stuff. Just so much here at this table. So we're walking up to another reminder, the Herbert. Warren Win Book Award, the elusive. Um, the, el- the elusive. I've told you, there's too much profanity in my books. I'm never going to win this thing, oh. but uh, it's really cool to see Bradley Klein, James Dodson, um, you know, friends of the Golfers' Journal, folks you can read in the Golfers' Journal here on the wall. Having maybe uh, if you're
1: nice to me, you could, you know. Do you get have poll closer. on that committee? Oh, you bet.
0: <laughs> okay, I've been. I, mean, I nice only run I the whole be. thing. Oh, geez, you said your your husband liked my books. <laughs> Um, I wouldn't take his word for it. Okay. Let's get back to the business at hand. We have winged foot memorabilia that you've taken out of the collection. Yes. Specifically for us to, uh, what are we looking at here?
1: Yep. So we have in front of us Billy Casper's putter and his golf ball from his 1959 win at Wingfoot, um, which he donated to the museum in Very 1960. Cool. Obviously, the golf ball, Wilson Staff ball is of a time, right? Looks sort of like yeah, a that looks old. 50, 60 ball. I mean, the
0: dimples are, there's more flat than dimple. It's a Wilson Staff, number 11. And his okay. putter is sort of like a mid-mallet. The putter looks kind yep. of modern. Yep. Uh, but then Obviously,
1: he had great putting that championship. Behind it, we have Reusel Hale Irwin's it. wedge. Right. 74.
0: 74 winged foot. And what I like about this one is the markings on the face are all over the face. It looks like my sandwich. It doesn't have just like that little dime in the middle. Exactly. Um, which is encouraging. Uh, but this, I love this one because it's just, you know, it's a black Cobra golf hat. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I saw it, I knew whose hat that was. You know, it's just for whatever reason that week, um, I don't know why, why it became such an iconic look. I mean, Uh, it's awesome to have that here as well.
1: Yeah. As I mentioned, we try to get, you know, different types of objects from our champions. It's not always balls and clubs. Um, in this case, as you said, it's an iconic hat. So that's what we got from Jeff Ogilvie from 2006.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe Jeff, maybe you were it a lot, but I certainly remember from that week. Um, so it was very cool. Uh, you said you wouldn't let me wear it. So that's that's fine. Um, we also
1: pulled some, artifacts from the library related to Winged Foot. So the small pamphlet we have here, it's about the size of a postcard, the original bylaws of Winged Foot from 1922.
0: Very small, exactly. very few bylaws, more today. Exactly.
1: And then this is a large, really promotional brochure announcing the opening of the new courses at Winged Foot in Mamaronek.
0: That's so cool. So like a little advertising brochure, like exactly. when Winged Foot had to tell people like, hey, we're having a golf, I mean, so. That's really interesting to see. And then, and the logo too, is obviously a very iconic thing about Winged Foot and the winged foot taken from the New York Athletic Club where, uh, you know, Winged Foot being founded by members from the New York Athletic Club. I don't think they're, they were never really affiliated. They just came from that club. And um, so use that great logo. And then if you wanted to sing about the course, do you want to sing this?
1: You're gonna sing it, actually, okay. after the podcast. So this is I can't a read sheet music, piece of sheet music. It's called Hail to the Winged Foot, which was dedicated to the National Open of
0: 1929. Hail to th- so it's, let's see. Well, I'll read you the chorus, and then
1: after the podcast, you can record it and then edit it. So the chorus says, so hail to the winged foot. It's the only place for me. So hail to the winged foot over land and over sea. Good fellows, there are many who treat you cordially. So hail to the winged foot. It's the only club for me. It just says it all. Exactly. Yeah, and the library has an amazing collection of sheet music, over 200 pieces,
0: Wow. Okay. So this, you know, while you're watching the opener at home, folks, sing that chorus to yourself. Uh, So hail to the winged foot. It's the only club for me. We're actually going to have a
1: new singing award this year. So no, we're not. Is that my chance? (laughs) Thanks. Just ribbing me. To win the elusive, (laughs) an elusive USGA award.
0: (laughs) It's my only shot. I want to get in that hall of champions. Um, But I know Since you we've gotten this far, if we go a little bit further, we can take the listeners to somewhere very special. Yep, if you're willing to do that for us, absolutely.
1: We're gonna go behind the behind the scenes.
0: Behind the behind, we're already behind the scenes. Exactly. We're going. So we're walking now
1: down through the library. So as you can see, we have rolling racks um, where we keep all of our books and records. Books. to give you an idea, our earliest book we have um, is from 1457. Get out. Yes. Um, some Scottish acts of parliament up, to, up uh, to the present.
0: Okay. Are those the acts that ban golf for archery practice? Is Correct. It that deal? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome.
1: And back here, we're working um, through in 20. 20- 18, 17, 18, we uh, acquired on long-term loan the Propes Library from the PGA of America, a library of about uh, three or 4,000 books. So we're going to those processing that. That's a good question. Yeah, we're on a bigger um, boat. Exactly. Yeah. So we're working on cataloging that and making it available. So Whoa,
0: that is a Japanese golf book. It is, yep. Oh, we have books
1: book. in, you know, I mean, just looking in front of us, we have books in Dutch and French and Le Spanish. Golf. German.
0: Wee wee. Take a peek at that one. All right, but I see some stairs calling us.
1: Okay, now we're headed. We're headed
0: down to the USGA dungeon.
1: So only about five percent of our collection is on display, which is pretty standard for museums. Mm -hmm. Um, So we try to use any opportunity we can to bring the objects out and share them with people. But this is the permanent home for the, most of what we have in our collection The archival this is,
0: storage room behind yeah. big time security we're down here in the basement going into where the good stuff is
1: yeah this is a um highly uh secure state-of-the-art climate controlled facility only um accessed by museum staff so but even a lot of usga staff have not been down here because this is where the good stuff is yes you're just that special i'm going
0: in i'm <laughs> going in
1: Come
0: on in. Ooh. I can smell the climate control.
1: You can feel it's a little bit colder in here. So when we redid the um, expansion in 2008, it was obviously to build um, sort of a state-of-the-art climate control facility for for the object. So um, I always, in the heat of summer, am wearing like a Mm long-sleeve shirt and pants because it's freezing. Yeah. (laughs) Um. But right in front of us, you can see part of our archival collection from the library. So we have um, archival papers from um, Walter Travis. Um, The gray boxes here are the correspondence of Bob Jones. We have over 8,500 letters. There's four shelves of them. Yes.
0: Holy moly. That's incredible.
1: Obviously, we love collecting archival material because it's unique. You know, your book... It's not really one of a kind. <laughs> it <doesn't>...
0: <laughs> Someday it will be. I have to get my digs in <laughs> as much as I can. <laughs> uh, and we just met today, folks. But, it's crazy.
1: But I'm um, Ching.
0: <laughs> Show me the scorecards. Yeah, so actually. This is cool.
1: Yeah, part of our role in the library is to archive all of the material related to our national championship. So. Here we have these drawers that house the scorecards for all of our championships. Whoa! So after the US Open is complete, the championship team will send the scorecards here to the library and we will archive them and store them here. And we often get requests you know from the champion or the host club that wants a copy of the winning scorecard so right. we'll make them a you know high resolution replica but the originals stay here
0: so like 1996 u.s open round two oakland hills country club you know it just you so they're all organized by event yep. and they're just stacks of the scorecards with the handwritten scores on them exactly and pencil um that's so cool How far back do these
1: go? The earliest earliest championship scorecards we have, not consistent, we have one from the 1909 U.S. Amateur and 1913 U.S. Open, which we saw in the galleries. But, um, you know, some of the most iconic championships that we have, um, even just starting here, these are the original um, 1913 U.S. Open scorecards. We went through a project in 2015 to reproduce all of the paper items in the gallery so what you see is a replica mm. that's a best practice for museums so these and are there the it is
0: ones. there's bernard darwin's signature yep up top it says replace turf oh still it was good advice then still is now yep Fix and as you tidbits.
1: see these are um kept in mylar and they're in you know that we're in a climate-controlled facility in yeah. a fireproof cabinet, so we we do the best to ensure that these scorecards are here long after we're gone.
0: Really makes me regret like all the scorecards that I've torn up or um, tossed away over the course of my my golf life. There you go.
1: This is a replica of the scorecard from 1929 at Wingfoot. There
0: it is, Wingfoot. Exactly. Bobby Jones shot 69. Game gamer, so all the scorecards you could dream of, and above on top of those scorecards are some of the largest golf bags I've ever seen.
1: Exactly, you can see the huge tour bags, huge. Not only related to uh, you know golf champions, but also presidents. We have a Ronald Reagan golf bag. Here we have Joe Lewis's golf bag. Oh, that's cool. Jackie Robinson. We have a lot of artifacts related to athletes best known for their accomplishments in other sports. We recently acquired um, Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr.'s golf clubs. No way. And bags, which are really cool.
0: That's cool. That is, ah.
1: Arthur Ashe. Love
0: it. And across from the bags, you have every VHS tape left exactly. in, the, in the world.
1: So in these rolling racks in the center, we house um, the part of the film and video collection and the photographs as well. Now everything is digital. Um, but we're still working through the process of trying to digitize what right. we do have.
0: Man, you've got a lot. That's a fun job. Awesome. You know, just a tray of like incredibly rare golf balls over there, um, old ones. Oh, and here we come to this. This is the sorting table. Exactly. Rare cool things come to to be to be seen.
1: In the center of collection storage, here we have this very large table, which is really. You know, you're getting an inside look into a working space. Mm. So we did actually shoot down here when we did the Golfer's Journal piece on the mirror head. We cleared this off, but normally this is how it looks. So we have artifacts that we've pulled out mm-hmm. either because we're preparing some content or we're putting them away. So right. here we've pulled some presidential artifacts um, for some content that we're doing and some materials related to Mickey Wright.
0: Whose shoes are those?
1: These are because
0: they're really sweet wingtips, joys as well.
1: So these are Gerald, Ford's hey, Gerald Ford golf shoes. Exactly, we have a ball used by President Kennedy. Ooh. We have a lot of Eisenhower memorabilia. You know how you know
0: that because it says John F. Kennedy on the golf ball. Yes, it does where the brand would would go? <laughs> he had his own brand of golf balls. You knew Ike. Yep. Had his own, uh, oh, he's got a, his driver head cover that says President Dwight D. Eisenhower, Augusta National Golf Club. That is sweet. Yeah, like. Exactly. Ooh. And then this is, wow, lipstick and jewelry. So I guess this is from what you just acquired. This is from Mickey this? Wright's okay. estate, correct. Wow. Impressive.
1: And if you come around, you know, we have, um drawers here with clubs in them but the way that we care for our medals and our balls i just i always like to pull out you know the wow drawer
0: whoa so this is a
1: drawer of our um usga champions medals so of of course
0: show my kids what to shoot for that is wild so that's just I'm just basically looking at a big, giant drawer, like a map drawer, like you pulled out of this school mm-hmm. file cabinet, just full of medals, Yeah. Metal on metal with little red, white, and blue ribbons. So it almost looks like, you know, some great soldiers' collection. We've got collection.
1: <laughs> great stuff in here. We have the uh, James Fallis' 1896 U.S. Open Medal.
0: There it is. Holy moly.
1: Yep. We have... Um, Finley Douglas's amateur medals from 1899. We have, you know, USGA executive committee badges. You can see the ribbons are, are beautiful.
0: Oh my gosh. And
1: just the way the presentation has changed and each medal, as you can see is in a bu- its own archival box within a box mm-hmm. and labeled with a number. So bigger box. It's very easy for us to find.
0: That's great. James Fallis. So when I visited, uh, Spent like a month at St. Andrews. We rented the house in which he was born. That's cool. How about that?
1: That's pretty cool. Uh,
0: But yeah, he won the second U.S. Open.
1: This is, you know, as I said, not something we'll share yet. But we, um, USGA, Mickey Wright bequeathed her collection to the USGA. And one of the last trips we took before the pandemic was we went down to Florida and we packed the contents of her estate Most of her golf-related memorabilia we'd gotten in 2014, but these are some of the um, personal things that came from her home.
0: So is that part of your job, going out and getting this stuff? Does that happen often?
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, Mickey was – that situation was really unusual because oftentimes the USGA is not the first beneficiary when a champion passes away, right? It goes to the family. But Mm -hmm. um, Mickey – Nikki asked us to be the caretakers of her legacy, so we we got to go in. Um, it was it was a pretty cool experience. It was a very difficult experience, but um, yeah, pretty amazing to be in, in the presence of such greatness. Well,
0: you do such a great job with golf's history, the memorabilia, the artifacts. Um, just it's truly impressive, and it's just really wonderful to see golf history treated. Um, with the sort of reverence and care and respect that um, golf heads like myself, uh, you know, think it should be, so it's just awesome to see the, how the USGA is taking care of. Um, we we take the that game.
1: we take that responsibility very seriously. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier we're museum professionals first Mm -hmm. and golfers second so part of our job is to take care of the objects so they're here long after we're gone and we're lucky the usga has made a tremendous investment in the museum and the facility to be able to take care of that and i think it's part of the reason why players and donors entrust us with their legacy because we take it very seriously and um it's fun it's it's really great
0: It's a great place and you should be trusted. And I mean, everywhere, every time I turn around, I'm like, there's another cool, weird thing. What is that? What is that bucket?
1: Uh, so this is an old uh, sand bucket.
0: Actually, I believe
1: this one's from Pine Valley. So this would have been filled with sand <sighs> to make teas.
0: Around every corner, another wonderful surprise. We, have so a, we could...
1: In front of you, a fine art rack. So we have a great collection of oh, fine art like as well.
0: A whole, yeah.
1: We have um, Norman Rockwell's and Rembrandt's in our collection. Here? Um, yes, we do.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Exactly. Wow! No stuff. wonder these things under lock places under lock and key. <laughs> well, I feel honored to have been here today. Thank you for letting the Golfers Journal listeners in, especially to get behind behind the scenes. Um, and can't wait to see you know, as they say, the next chapter coming up at Wingfoot. So, yeah. Hillary, thanks for coming. Can't thank you enough. All right, everyone, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on the Golfers Journal podcast.